Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ of St. Paul, located in Matamidi, Minnesota. We are a suburban congregation united in Christ and grounded in the values of diversity, solidarity, and witness. You can learn more about us by going to fccstpaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. Our text for today comes from Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32, and then 1 John 4, 7 through 12. We'll read first from Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property. So he gave so he divided his property between them. A few days later, the son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to, this, to, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods of the, that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough, bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have seen the dense heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked him what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all the years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, 
because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has been found. Our second passage is from 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who is born of God knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we, we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. It's the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. On November 20th, 1983, about 100 million Americans gathered in their homes to watch a television movie. Now, most television movies, especially back in the early 80s, were pretty much fluff. But this movie was anything but. The movie in question was The Day After. It is a movie about nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union. In the movie, a war starts in Europe, and the situation escalates until both superpowers are launching their ICBMs towards each other. The movie is focused on the lives of people living in Lawrence, Kansas. And for those of you who are familiar, it's a college town, I believe, northeast of Kansas City. One of the posters for the movie claimed that, the, that this, was, this event was beyond imagining. And the director wanted to make sure that this movie was as real as possible to get the point across really about the savageness of nuclear war. It seemed to work. For me, at least, but I think for many, but for me personally, it did work well because it was so realistic, I couldn't watch the whole movie. About a week or two before, I was watching 60 Minutes, and they decided to do a story on the controversy surrounding this movie. And during that story, of course, they show a clip. And the clip is maybe about a minute or two minutes and you see people in this clip, this is maybe moments before the detonation, people are running everywhere and anywhere, trying to maybe find a hiding place, but of course there is none. The freeways are clogged with people trying to leave Kansas City, and you see the, the Nike missiles, the anti, kind of the missiles that are supposed to intercept um, ICBMs launching, um, and they're, hopefully, hopefully are supposed to intercept and destroy the ICBMs. But of course, they probably did not get all of them because the next thing that you notice is the sky turns red and you see the mushroom cloud of the nuclear bomb detonating over Kansas City. As I said, that clip was about two minutes. But that was all it took for me to be incredibly upset and for a number of nights... I could not sleep. And in fact, for years, 
I got nervous when anyone ever talked about Kansas City. That movie was so real, I couldn't watch the whole movie. In some ways, that summed up the times that I was living in. I was already nervous about nuclear war. That year, especially 1983, was a big year because the tensions between the Soviets and America ran incredibly high. If many of you remember, in September of that year, the Soviet Union shot down a Korean airliner that was on its way to Seoul. Our culture was filled with this fear that at any moment, we could all die in a nuclear blast. My husband Daniel um, lived and grew up in eastern North Dakota. If you know anything about North Dakota, especially that part of the state, it was filled with missile silos filled that, and contained ICBMs ready to head off, inter intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missiles ready to make their head to the Soviet Union. He didn't grow up very far from Grand Forks Air Base. And both Grand Forks Air Base and then a little bit to the west, Minot, both were, had B-52s, which all had nuclear bombs within them that were all going Moscow-bound. He has told me that he knew that there was going to be a, a nuclear exchange back then. He and his family would be vaporized because, of course, North Dakota was a target. And so he knew growing up that he had a target on his back. But then the Cold War ended and the Soviet Union collapsed. And it seemed like both sides were trying to work to reduce the amount of nuclear weapons. And so my fear of an atomic holocaust lessened until February 27th of this year. This was a few years, few days into the current war between Russia and Ukraine. And that morning, as I was getting ready, preparing to go to church, we hear over the news that Russian President Vladimir Putin placed his nuclear forces on alert. We learned that even prior to the start of the war, the Russian military had even conducted drills involving nuclear weapons. And as the war continues to drag on, we keep hearing more and more about this growing fear of the possibility that Russia will use nuclear weapons in this conflict. In fact, there is a team in the White House that has been formed to discuss how the U.S. would respond if Russia used a weapon of mass destruction. So all of a sudden, those fears that I had nearly 40 years ago came back. If Ukraine is winning the war, and they win it very decisively, would Putin use a tactical newt on the battlefield? Now, those bombs are lower yield, but it would still cross a line that has not been violated since 1945 when the U.S. dropped bombs on Hiroshima in Nagasaki, in Japan. This week, Daniel and I were discussing doing some remodeling in the house, and he even opined that it, that it makes sense to talk about flooring 
when we might be facing this daunting challenge. And a friend of mine who lives in San Diego is incredibly worried. Of course, he lives in San Diego, which is, has a lot of naval um, people involved in the Navy and, and lots of naval um, business that takes place there. And he's worried, what would happen if the nuclear war happened? Because he knows that San Diego is in the crosshairs. What this little talk about nuclear weapons reminds me is that how fragile that our lives truly are. Here in America, we, we worry about the possibility of nuclear war. Hopefully, it's a small possibility. But as some people have said, it probably isn't zero. But over in Ukraine now, lives are truly high hanging in the balance. This week, I read an article from a woman who grew up in uh, Mariupol. That is the coastal city in Ukraine that, as many of you know, has been basically reduced to rubble by Russia. On the day of the first bombs, she fled her home. She was living at this time in Kyiv, in the capital, and she basically went west to Poland. She kept trying to keep in contact with her mother, and, uh, who lives in Mariupol, and they talked with each other every day until March 2nd, when the communication lines went down. Now she does not know if her mother or her grandparents, who also live there, are alive or dead. And there is this video from Vice News that shows what is going on in Kharkiv, which is the second largest city in Ukraine. And residents talk about the beauty of this city. And it seems like that many of the cities in Ukraine had this kind of 19th, 18th and 19th century beauty and how basically the city has now been blasted out of anything that they could remember. One of the things that was indelible is a woman who lost both her sister and her son in a blast in, in their home. And she talks and she talks and, and, and ends up in tears because she was in the home and, as, and saw her son die in the bomb blast. Both of our passages today deal with love. But it is not the love that we like to always think about, the love that we see in movies. Instead, it is a love that has been through fire. First John urges us to love one another if we want to know God. And we know God through our love for each other. In Luke, we hear the familiar story of the prodigal son who takes his inheritance and blows it all on living a very wild life. And many of us have heard this story so much that we might even forget some of the particulars. One of the first things that is the younger son asks for his inheritance. And when he does that, in some ways, he is committing a major faux pas. Because in that culture, you didn't get your inheritance until your parent, your, the parent dies. And in, in his asking for this money now, 
He's basically saying and wanting his parent, in this case his father, to die so that he can get his share. And this had to be embarrassing for the father. His younger son didn't show any patience, any concern. He just wanted the money. So the son, the prodigal son that we always kind of talk about and in many ways have pity for, isn't some innocent. In fact, he's an active agent in his own demise from wealth to poverty. In some ways, he deserved what he got. He loses all his money and is forced to live in poverty. And he is returning home with his tails between his legs because he knew that he has sinned. And he knew that he would not deserve to be called his father's son. But instead, the father who was waiting, the father who had every right to turn his son aside, runs towards his lost son and welcomes him back home. This is an example of love. Despite all of the embarrassment and hurt, the wayward son is welcomed back. God is love. That is what John, the first John says. Because God loves us, and that was shown through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as it says in 1 John 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God truly is the father that waits for the lost son or daughter and runs towards those, towards you and towards, towards myself and towards all of you with open arms. God loves. And because God loves, we truly must love others. As I said, I've been reminded about how fleeting life can be. And as I said earlier, I talked a little bit about Mariupol. It's a city of about 400,000 people, which is just about the population of Minneapolis. The numbers are not firm, but some think right now that there are thousands that are dead. And we've seen, I've seen pictures, and you may have seen them in the news too, of people being buried in mass graves because there are so many that are dying. Think about this for a second. A month ago, this city was like any other city. It had regular people who were living their regular lives. They went to the opera. They went to go shopping. They did all the normal things. And now, if you see pictures, this looks like something from the end of World War II. Our time here is short. Maybe it won't be something like Mariupol. Maybe it won't be nuclear war. But our time here is short, and how are we going to live our lives? We are called to love, to love God and to love others. We are called to give ourselves away, even at a cost. 
Because love is not about holding on to something. It is about giving it away. As this congregation, we sit at an interesting juncture. We have questions about where are we headed? How will we, will we survive? And those are all legitimate questions. I don't know what we need to specifically do. I don't have a roadmap about the sustainability of our church, but I do know this one thing. How are we loving each other? How are we loving our community around us? How are we loving those others in our own lives outside of this church? Do we see God in how people love one another? And do we expect to see God in people showing love to one another? Do we expect to see God? And do we feel the grace that God has shown us? This sermon is actually part of a series, if you've noticed, that is called Reclaiming Our Call. And this theme here is reclaiming our vision. And vision is something that we need to claim in our congregation. Of course, the question is, what is our vision? What are the ends of our church? I wanted to just share a brief thing from the design of the Christian church. It's kind of a confession that we have um, as, as disciples. And it says, it describes what a congregation is this way. Within the whole family of God on earth, the church appears wherever believers in Jesus the Christ are gathered in his name. Transcending all barriers within the human family, the one church manifests itself in ordered communities bound together for worship, fellowship, and service in varied structures for mission, witness, and mutual accountability, and for the nurture and renewal of its members. Everything in that statement boils down to the passage in 1 John, love. We gather together loving each other. We gather for worship because we love God. We go out from this place to do mission because we love those outside the church, those that God loves. The church is all about love. And if we aren't loving, it's difficult to say that we are church. We live in incredibly uncertain times. But even more so, that is even more the reason we should love, because our time is fleeting. Maybe we have years, but maybe we have less. Maybe it will be war, maybe it won't. But if we only have so much time in the world, that means that we cannot waste time being scared about the future. It means that we cannot be worried about the small things. Because, again, we don't have much time on this earth. We don't have time to waste. I pray that all of us have full lives. But the fact of the matter is, we are not promised that. So... Today, tomorrow, and every day, let us live and love and love and love. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope today's sermon podcast was nourishment to your soul. If you'd like to know more about First Christian Church of St. Paul, please visit our website at fccstpaul.org. That's F-C-C-S-A-I-N-T-P-A-U-L dot org. May God be with you in the coming week.